here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We are live with the fourth episode nine. Yeah. I am Raba, that is Charlie, and we're going to take you through some fun stuff. So we've been hammering away at a lot of really kind of tactical stuff. So today we're going to take a little light approach. we got a new president, yeah. a big sigh of relief. So we're going to ride that wave and we're just going to go through kind of the fuckery that's been going on in your ads manager, why it's going on, how to fix it, mm -hmm. and really why you should be using ecosystem ROAS. We promise we won't hammer on ecosystem ROAS. We know it's the horse that we've been beating to death, but... I will say you should be using it. Um, from and that, I'll we'll tell talk you this: everybody that ridiculed us, especially me, in October and November and September when iOS 14 was announced, they were like, "It's going to be fucking doomsday." They've literally taken the words out of my mouth, and they're now calling it blended or whatever buzzword it is. And it's literally the same shit I said three fucking months. I've been preaching it for two years. I already have it written down in books and everything else, and it's going to be my next ebook. Is going to be how to do all of the ecosystem ROAS. And if you're watching this thing and you want it. Just ping us and I'll just give it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit us up on the Twitters, uh, CT, The Disruptor, and uh, there's a great Facebook group that you can join for freeze and then a paid Slack channel if you have the monies to spend. And then after we talk about that, um, so from the fuckery of the ads manager, we'll also will go into kind of the differentiation between the attribution window and the optimization window because there there's some weird things going on there, but we will illuminate all of that. And then finally, we'll just kind of pontificate a little bit on what we see as the kind of role of organic social media in terms of augmenting not only a paid media, but also the ecosystem at large. Lastly, we have the tip tool of the week, something pretty cool that you guys probably already know about, but it's new to me. So I will share that with you guys. And then lastly, we have always ba -ba -ba -ba, the Guru Buster. Yeah. All right. All right, Chuck T. Talk to me about <laughs> what happened when I'm spending all this money with Facebook and they said uh essentially put a blindfold around me but still kept taking money out of my wallet. What what happened then? Yeah. So so what happened with this to, to try to prepare for iOS 14 and one of the pivots that they're doing right now is that they're having to address the way that they're showing information in the dashboard. Mm -hmm. Right. So a lot of us are looking at this and being like, oh, man, I'm not making any money anymore. My Facebook performance is shit. And then uh, when everybody comes to me with that question, my response is, well, how are you doing on Shopify? I'm like, well, my, 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 my sales are pretty much online. I, I, or, or some people are like, well, I'm seeing performance. I'm seeing my sales drop each day. And I'm like, well, are you spending less on Facebook each day? And they're like, well, yeah, because Facebook says it's losing all this money. I'm like it's directly correlated. And. and what we need to really make keep mindful of is the dashboard that you see inside of Facebook is a UX UI version of how they display information from their internal database. Yep. It is not an accurate representation of the data that they have. Yep. It never has been. Facebook reporting has never been 100%, just like Google Analytics is not even close to 80% half the time if you're killing the game. It is merely an approximation of the results that you can see. So we need to remember is that right now, as your dashboard looks like shit, there are alternative ways to look at reporting that are not built on that UI. The most commonly one is if you look in the upper right-hand corner, there's this little thing. Let me see if I can do it here. Up here, there's a button that says reports. If you click on reports, it drops down. The second option says create custom report. And if you open that up, you'll be able to find how to build a custom report built off, built off the data from the database. 
not off the the the, the customer facing UI of like the very fancy version of Excel, but actually the raw data. And you can pivot it out in a pivot table. You can see it in a bar graph. You can see it in a line graph, or you can combine line graph and pivot table, a bar graph and pivot table. And the point here is if you want to see what your results are, when you go to your reporting dashboard, go in, customize your columns, see what attribution window you want. Okay, I want 28-day click, one-day view, because that's how I've been measuring everything. Okay, click, 28-day click, one-day view, and comparing windows down here in the bottom right of the custom columns section, and then you hit apply, and then go build a custom report. You can't change these metrics once you get to the report. It builds a report of the dashboard that you've seen or that you're looking at. Once you're in there, you can see, well, what are my results on a one-day view? Yeah. What are my results on a 28-day click? Now, fun fact, if you add the results of your 28-day click and your one-day view, it is what you would see on a 28-day view, one-day click, uh, uh, click, one-day view sure metric. Yeah. All they're doing is adding those two numbers together. So how much did you spend today? How much you made today? Still 100% there in the way that you've always been able to see it. It's just you can't access that information in a reliable way because most advertisers – no two advertisers really see the exact same Facebook experience right. because the way Facebook engineers are, work, and I know this because I know some of the engineers and I've asked them this a thousand times, is that any engineer that wants to implement a test, one of the things about Facebook is anybody can enter a test and it will automatically sample a small section of the user base. Well, if you've got 20 engineers, a thousand engineers all sampling like 0.5% of the user base, and those tests are all overlapping. So each individual person might have a slightly different experience. And we see this like in one account, your campaign overview might be useful. And in another one, it's just this list of shit that is completely un unactionable. Uh, we, we've seen this, uh, you know, sometimes you're able to sort by number of purchases. Sometimes you aren't, right? We've, we've seen this just this layout that looks a little bit different depending on the account that you're on. Yep. And depending sometimes on the device that you're on. Like I see a different interface on my phone than I do on my laptop sometimes. And, and so the important thing to remember here is, it's going to take, and the word from Facebook is a couple of weeks, realistically, right, for them to be able to consolidate this customer, this client facing, this user interface of how you see the data that they're collecting, but the data is still there. Right. So the important thing is, if you're measuring how much money you spent today on Facebook and how much money you made today in your store, that metric still lines up to your success. And if you need more information, Build yourself a custom report, yeah. and you can assemble that data. You're still able to see 28-day click information. It's still there. Right. I have stuff that's maturing from the end of December, early January. Right. It's over the seven day. All of this fear-mongering about default attribution and all this data, it's only in the way that they're displaying the information, right. not in the way that they're tracking it. So um, everybody that's freaking out, that's a simple solution. And... Um, by the time you see this, hopefully it'll be laid out for right. you. Um, but we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. And if it doesn't, remember that this is a great opportunity to build your ecosystem, ROAS, and a great opportunity to build some custom reporting metrics for you to utilize to update your spreadsheets or whatever else. The actual dashboard is just a nice little display of information that allows you to make changes. Yep. And if you have control campaigns and automated rules, the only thing you're really changing is what ad goes in your control campaigns and when you're starting and stopping tests. Yep. Everything else, you don't need to mess with. That's Facebook's job. Automate the shit out of that and stay out of the results. Just report the numbers. Yeah, I love that.
Yeah. And um, from the documentation and all the communications that Facebook has released, um, to your point, the data is there. It's just, uh, or the attribution data is there. It's just only going to be accessible through the ads API. Um, and so it won't be an ads manager. So talk to me a little bit about the, I know we touched on it maybe in episode two or three. Man, we're so old, nine episodes. How about that? Um, yeah. But the difference between the optimization window and the attribution window, because the attribution window did get ratcheted down in ads manager, but then that is also lined up as the optimization window as well. So it's kind of confusing for some people, right? So if you could maybe unmute yeah. the water between those two things, because they are separate events, even though they're set to the same time by default right now. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, attribution window, more than anything, is the way that that UI shows you the data. Got it. Regardless of what the attribution window is, you can always pull the data at a one-day click. You can always pull it at a 28-day view if you want. Um, you can pull that data however you want, especially if you go into the custom reporting. You can see it. Yep. Now, they might deprecate some of those options, but I'm still waiting for them to force us to use CBO. Like, it's not going to happen. I would say, I would bet money, easy money, that that 28-day click, 28-day view, 7-day view, all of these attribution windows are still going to be available. Yeah. The important thing is to understand what's really valuable. Yeah. And the honest truth is after a one-day click, it's probably not that worthwhile to you. I'll tell you this. Out of everybody they work with, the people that are seeing the least amount of impact, that have the least amount of headache, that are able to spend into the great performance they're seeing right now as everybody else is freaked the fuck out, are the folks that have been measuring on a one-day click yeah. for a long period of time because they already know what their truth is. Yeah. And if you already know what the truth is, then this obfuscation of like these other more vanity versions of metrics uh, doesn't really get in the way of you conducting business. Right. I'd say the only real issue that we have to worry about is the optimization window is what that ad set is trying to do. Yes. Now, almost every account I'm on, I set the optimization windows for a one day click. I want to get the buyers today. Because Not it's less algebra. Just straight to the gill. No, I'd straight go straight it. to the click. Because right, here's why. Getting somebody to click today means Facebook is going to show those impressions to the person that is most likely to make the purchase. Yeah. Somebody that's likely to make a purchase off of a view, they might be shown a click ad as well, right? They might be they might be a viewer, they might be a clicker, but they, they may still be shown. Now, somebody that's seven days from now, Facebook has to predict what you're gonna do in the future. That is a crazy bit of fuzzy math that ultimately doesn't help you succeed in business. Where a seven day click really helps is a, if you don't have enough volume to leave the learning phase because you have a too small of a spend or B you've maximized the level of efficiency you can achieve on a one day click. And I'll tell you this, whether I'm spending 50 grand a day or a hundred grand a day, mm -hmm. I haven't saturated that audience because I'm using broad audiences. Right. And there's if you can spend enough to get seven or eight conversions a day, there's no need for you to really ever embrace anything longer than a one day click window. Right. So that that's my view is somebody that's just sick and tired of having really awkward conversations about attribution and customer journey and multi-channel metrics and multi-touch and all this other fancy shit that makes sure that basically what it says is can everybody in the room feel good about what they're doing? Yeah. Or like now I'm just focused on. Is the business doing better than it was before? Yep. 
Here's how much money I spent. Yeah. Okay, great. Working with me is good for you. Yeah. Awesome. Pay me. Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you won't get. That's what yeah, you won't get an argument for the from me about the uh, robustness of the one day click. Um, I definitely think it's uh, if your business can support it, it's definitely the path. And I think you can also. Um, so I'll have like we were talking earlier offline. I'll have certain ad sets, uh, for example, like my retargeting or something like that, that I'll do um, one day post click because I want I get the volume and two to your point. I want to spend my money on the person that's going to be the best um, versus in prospecting. Yeah. I kind of got to give it a little bit of a wider berth because if not, um, I'll just kind of keep missing blanks just because uh, the algorithm can't get satiated enough. But uh, I think your logic's spot on. Thanks, man. Yeah, I think ultimately you have to find out what works best yep, for you. That's perfectly put. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's always in, it, it depends and test it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but to give you a better answer than it depends, my response to anybody that has to worry about this question is if you don't know the answer, go to the answer that's going to give you the highest level of confidence. Yes. And no answer is more honest than one day click. Yep. Yep. 100%. And, and that's that's the bottom line. And again, you're already not seeing every conversion. You're already dealing with multiple channels, maybe taking credit. So why don't you just limit the amount of headaches and understand like I might not get a full picture, but I'm 100% confident in the results that I get. Yeah. Yep. And then you just make, all you have to do is make one day click better than it was last month. Yep. Everything else falls in line after that. Yep. Yep. On other channels too. Yep. Like it's just providing better quality people into your system. Absolutely. Yeah. That's it. So all, that's all it is. Everything else after that is fucking window dressing and bullshit. <laughs> garbage metrics. Garbage thinking. Garbage metrics are garbage thinking. That's right. Um, all right. Well, speaking of garbage metrics or garbage thinking, what are your thoughts on – there's this all- – of uh, organic social media and the place it – occupies in that ecosystem and how can you use it to augment paid you have yeah any i think there's a lot of people that undervalue the concept of quality organic media but i'll say this yeah good organic will help where it helps in the paid media world because we're ultimately performance marketers right now the likelihood Correct. of somebody making a viral video is basically zero Okay. Like it just doesn't fucking happen Correct. most of the time. And when it does, it's a shot in the fucking dark and very few people are ever able to plan for it. Most viral videos are viral because people put, spent a bunch of fucking money behind it. Right. Like that's like, why is, why does this yeah. music video get a million plays I mean, in, in 24 hours? It's because they had a $10,000 media budget. Well, and I would also say a lot of those people, even if they do cast the virality, they don't have the monetization mechanism to actually yeah, make it. Yeah, you can like, sniff bullshit out. Um, minus minus dollar, slate, dollar Shave Club was essentially a viral video on Facebook arbitrage. Yeah, but, again, like uh, that's, like outside yeah. of that, 100%. Like it's, it's incredibly hard. Like it's Yeah, not and they were a brand that was route. positioned to take advantage of it. And I, I will say this. Exactly. Probably yeah. 10, 15, 30,000 people have made the mistake of investing way too much money and trying to chase that every fucking month. Like you're never going to get there. Like that is my previous job. Like VC agency land is like, that's the whole. Yeah. It's just, 
<laughs> Selling twenty dollar bills for ten bucks, baby. But yeah, look at that yeah, growth, right? Charlie. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so, so my point with organic, I think where it's helpful as a performance marketer. Now, as a non-performance marketer, just as brand affinity and all this other stuff, it's really good, right? It's really yeah, yeah. good for people to feel good about your brand, and, and there's definitely value there if you yeah. can afford it, right? Um, yeah, that's a really yeah. Cool. So I so. I mean, we all feel good about certain stuff. Like some brands position their why really well. And if you position your why really well, then you don't need to spend as much money selling stuff because people are emotionally attached to your product, right? And that's killer. Like that, that mm -hmm. winning it organic mm -hmm. and the content is elite level, but it takes a really long time to make those, uh, those emotional connections. That is not a game you're going to win in weeks. That's a game that's going to take weeks uh, in months or years and years to make generations to make. Oh, so well put that's, um, oh man, I love that. I find that social media or organic in specific is, um, very compounding. It has very, very big compounding effects. And so there's a long time where it feels like you're just pissing into the wind and you have to kind of really just keep, uh, you know, pound of the pavement, pound the pavement, and then you can finally find a certain inflection point or something that resonates with that. But yeah, I do agree. And it's hard to, again, because of that, justify that um, big spend of resources to something that has such a fuzzy connection yeah. to actual revenue generation. But to your point, I do think that when you're on, like one of my best clients has just a, such a kick-ass social. And so once we well, mobilize, for example, like an offer or a certain initiative around a product, we're hitting it on like multiple fronts. And then a lot of times I can just find one of their social posts that caught fire and then just throw yeah. jet engines on that thing. And then not only am I getting the organic social proof, but I'm fucking smashing this through people that'll have a very high propensity to buy. So um, I definitely think there's a place to it. But to your point, um, I've found it works best when you have really good storytellers and they throw out those emotional hooks. Um, and not only that, they're also married to um, helping paid media out. So everybody's kind of on the same team because ultimately at the end of the day, it's all marketing, right? It's just, we're going to spend money to, for people to look at this versus people are going to look at this thing voluntarily. And so um, an interesting thing that I'm finding is I have a creative agency that I'm working with um, for some of our deliverables and they make great content for social and it kills it, but absolute dog shit for ads. And so what I'm realizing is there's things that are really socially engaging that do not transfer at all to sales. And I think that might be the crux of the argument for a lot of people that shit on social is that what social metrics are measured, like to your point, like virality, blah, blah, blah. But what, what paid marketing or performance metrics, they're, they're so far apart yeah. in that sense. And I think the most productive teams find some shared metrics to push forward. Um, without living on those two islands. Cause I think ultimately that's what happens like a, a, a paid social media or a paid uh, media buyer versus an organic social media person has totally yeah. different KPIs. I mean, just, just couldn't be yeah. any more different. And so, um, but, but I do think it can, one, I think you should spend it up as soon as possible with as minimal resources because it is compounding. Um, but two, I think uh, storytelling over kind of, 
everything is really what plays well on social but that doesn't necessarily convert to sales so it's just kind of this weird thing of like but maybe you have to trust somebody like somebody know somebody before you buy from them so if they can unlock one of those three then maybe yeah. it is a net net win and but, i'll tell you um, this like the one thing that i point to with with good social with good with good organic if you want to look at just the performance marketing side like how is my as a media buyer super interested in you as an organic social provider or as the business owner, how am I concerned to try to sell my boss that he needs to hire you? And here's where it is for me. If that organic social makes my page respond better in the ecosystem and creates emotional connections with customers, mm -hmm. then my estimated action rate on my ads is going to go up. And my retargeting audiences of people that are engaged with me are going to go up. And the conversion rate on those retargeting audiences is going to go up. So an investment in, so, in, in good organic social is going to make my performance in the auction better and provide me a lift in conversion rate on some of the broadest retargeting audiences I could have, which means my organic social can be doing a lot of my prospecting effectively for zero media dollars. Uh, now, obviously there's a cost yeah. in baking in that stuff, but the point of it is uh, it, it, it lifts organic, good organic makes paid easier. And if you want yes. to get over so the we'll plateau on your paid media, on. maybe take a look at your organic. And if it's shit, an investment in your organic will lift your paid. And, and it is 100% an overlooked thing. And, and I learned that lesson from uh, a very strong entrepreneur for a company I worked for for a couple of years and I went client side and they made a point of having a Facebook community and having organic that really spoke to people. And the organic was completely in violation of Facebook's terms and services, but the paid wasn't. And when people started to look at the paid and they were like, well, who the fuck is this? And they did any bit of research. Then they saw the other stuff. And then the people that saw the other stuff and they got hit with an ad, they saw all these before and afters, for instance, right? Well, if you've engaged in a long thread of a before and after yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. get hit up with a deal, fuck, I'm converting you right away. So 100%. it's another performance marketing arm. It's just one that you're not able to tie direct results to. But it's absolutely as yep. important as like television or radio or print or anything else it, it's yep. good quality organic will lift your paid media overnight and when when somebody goes viral you damn sure their paid media goes much better like i don't think they were doing it but if ocean spray had cranberry ads going and that fucking tiktok launch like i guarantee you every facebook yep. every facebook ad selling cranberry would go from a 1x row as to a 10x and somebody's like oh, i'm just killing it today it's like no well this viral video just launched and everybody that sees your ad wants to buy uh totally did you know it's speaking of virality that was missed out i thought uh the biggest miss was uh did you ever do oh, i haven't done it yet it's on my check list. that out i mean, I mean oh, I'm football's almost over so okay. i can start watching Ah, Charlie, it's so good. Uh, but the too long didn't read is I can't believe Netflix didn't launch a branded chess set, dude. That oh, would have flew. Like, yeah. if you look at the sale of chess sets after this, like, hit peak virality, it's like, dude, what are you doing here? Or how about some Cobra Kai? Yeah. Gear? 
come on, dude, that has to be the next step for them to start to build out some sort of uh, 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 other monetizations on this. Because it's like, man, this stuff is like getting to a level of cult classic and they're getting to a level of just essentially the law of large numbers. Dude, they're supposed to release like a new movie every day for like the next hundred yeah, days. Crazy. Or something. Some crazy like. In terms of body moments later, even if just being able to throw that much shit against the wall against this many people that are subscribing, like, and with the way the algorithms work, they can uh, almost not to the TikTok level, but surface the shit that you're going to be interested in. They have the trends. Yeah, like, hey, if you made a whole bunch, if you made a whole bunch of merchandise for a movie or for a TV show, totally, and you want to sell the fuck out of it. Star yeah, Wars, like Baby Yoda. How do you how do you want to? Oh, we we got too much Baby Yodas on stock. All right, let's put Star Wars to the top of the Netflix feed. Done. It's Boom. free. Let's run. All, it, yeah, done. and then every ad is going to go from right. two X to up, ten. Sign up for Netflix. Done. Sign up for Netflix, and you yeah. get a Baby Yoda. Oh, so whatever. Like it just makes so much sense because at the end of the day, all they care about really is yeah. just getting more was, people to subscribe. And so if they can use. Oh, it's funny. So I was talking to the guy last night uh, in a in a in a uh, clubhouse room, with a DTC after dark clubhouse room, uh, and it's just the guy that was uh, he's the paid manager for um, Stars, the TV network, and he was talking about how they're doing yeah, a lot yeah. of this tie-in yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. And we were talking about other other tie-ins that that you can do and all this easy wins. And like, it was funny. There was somebody. Also, that I was talking to, that uh, bought JoeBidenShop.com and JoeBidenStore.com. Smart. And it's just like, okay, okay, yeah, he, yeah, he he bought it, and now he's just making like small shirts and hats. And his organic SEO, he's getting like ten thousand hits a day because it exists. Uh, that's a. Oh man! Like, oh, fuck. There's a million dollars we slipped out on because we didn't think. Okay, and for the record, I've already checked Kamala Harris store and shop.com already taken. Because I was like, Vice President, let's go, women's movement. Four years. Yeah, there we go. All the other, but apparently nobody went after Joe Biden, so this guy got it, and he's he's some dude that owns like. Uh, he owns like a rehab and a couple of car washes. And he's also like, I went on late last night and was just That's like good. checking up websites and like, holy shit was available. He paid like 10 bucks and he's got the dot com and he built, he got the Instagram handles, the Facebook handles, the Twitter handles, the TikTok, and the dot com. And like one drunken oh, night, this dude's probably, if, he's, if he doesn't make a million fucking dollars, I'm going to be really upset. That's, that's so funny. The uh, the old joke is you're not an entrepreneur until you have like 20 domains in your yeah. uh, DNS account. Or it's like my thing is just littered with just <laughs> horrible ideas when I was not in the right consciousness. Or it's just like, this is a fucking, why do I need this URL? What the fuck? And the worst part is if it's oh, on yeah. auto renew and you get oh. hit with it again after that, you're like, See, oh, no, I, I, I have that. And I've got like a Zapier account that I keep forgetting about and I don't know how to log into it. I get oh, 15 bucks a month. Yeah. I don't even know where it's coming from. And then like, yeah, like the, the autos renew for, for the sites where it's once a year. If you catch it, it's like 60 yeah. bucks. You know, you know, GoDaddy's printing like, there's probably seven figures a month. Easy, easy oh. on, forgot, on forgotten sites. 
and especially that or then uh hosting where people can't kill their old websites and so people are just like oh fuck it i'll just keep paying because and they don't want to move them oh man yeah wild wild world out there speaking of a wild wild world that'll roll us into our tip tool of the week um so one of the things i've been concentrating on is building systems around actually aggregating and kind of collating all the knowledge I rub up against. And one of the things I like to do is uh, read a lot. So I listen to a lot of audiobooks and read. And I was blown away. And it's probably, it's been out for a while now. So this isn't like breaking news here. But um, there's something called WhisperSync where you can actually, if you own the Kindle version of the book and the audiobook version or the Audible version, it'll sync stuff up. So if you're listening to it, say, in your car or in the gym or whatever, and then you want to go home and read at night, um, it'll pick up at the exact same place. Even cooler than that, um, if you want to just sit there and read and actually be uh, one of the things I like about audiobooks, especially in terms of uh, fictional stuff, is um, I don't have to. I like to build the worlds, but the voices help me discern which characters are which, especially mm-hmm. during really long dialogues. And so having the voice actor, but also having the visual representation of the text, and it kind of walks you through like a teleprompter. So it's actually a really, really cool service. It is a little pricey because you have to buy both of them. So that kind of sucks, but I've found that, oh, I buried the lead. So from that, now my Audible, I can go to my bookmark thing in my Audible book. That then takes me to the place in my Kindle. I can then highlight the cool shit in my Kindle that I like. And then from that, it gets synced up using a service called Readwise to my Notion. Um, and you can also sync it up to your own research. So now I'm going back through and retroactively going through all my audiobooks and pulling out all the highlights from that and then syncing them to just a big knowledge base. But anyway, too long, didn't read audible and Kindle can sync together using something called whisper sync. It's really, really cool. If you want to get really crazy, the highlights from your Kindle um, can sync using Readwise to pretty much any service, but um, I sync them to my uh, notion and you can sync them to Rome uh, research as well. So that's your tip tool of the week, kids. Uh, go get you a book. There you go. Oh, hey, 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 by the way, before we do the Guru Buster, I wanted to drop something that I, that, that I wanted to drop just yeah, a, yeah, yeah. A, a tip. I, I, I feel so Sorry. bad. I don't want to step on, on, on things, but do you know about the happy birthday email hack for dormant email accounts? Oh, my gosh. What? All right. Okay. Okay. Hold on a second. And then, and then I'll go. Hold on, we're bre- yeah, we yeah. are breaking right, news here. Hold right, on. Right. Oh, I've never yeah. even heard of it. What is Check this? Check this out. You ready? You ready? What's going on? If you have a dormant email list, say you've got yeah. like 50,000 emails in your queue and, and you're just like, you keep sending them out and people don't open them and you're hurting your like, you know, open rate, your delivery rate, right? Because Gmail is looking at you like your shit. Email yeah. happy birthday. Like happy birthday, whatever, first name, last name. Like happy birthday, blah, 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 blah from us. Three things are going to happen. Number one. Somebody doesn't open it. All right, cool. Fuck them. Take them off your list. Never send them an email again, right? So your your email, your open rate immediately improves. So your delivery rate on all of your services, especially Gmail, it goes up, right? Number two, it was their birthday recently or very soon, in which case they say, hey, thank you. And then you can respond like, awesome, blah, blah, blah. And by the way, here's a special offer. So you've juiced them into a sale. And they've opened it, so now your open rate goes back up. Three, and this just happens a disturbing amount of times. They say, that's not my that's not my birthday. This is my birthday. I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. Sorry, we'll update our records. As an apology, here's, here's like, you know, 20% off the special deal. You juiced them for a deal. So now you've gotten, you've increased your open rate. You validated everything. 
and you're making sales to people that weren't opening your emails any before. And if they don't, fuck them and they're off their list. <laughs> Too long, didn't read. You yeah. kick out the scrubs. You take the money for the people that actually birthdays it is, and then you apologize by taking more money for the people that Happy it birthday. wasn't the birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, people. I thought you'd like that. I thought you'd like that. <laughs> and you were banned uh, how many times on what again? <laughs> oh, tease. Now I tease. Oh, God. I, I just like, That's oh, shit, amazing. I got to drop this. That, that is, that is email nugget. Like, that is where, like, an email person not thinking about it. Uh, like, a gray yeah. hat like marketer yeah. that's just trying to like juice the system by cheating the rules 100% win. Yeah. Yes, yes, that'll definitely oh, yeah. get you some wheels on it. That's amazing. If you want to do it too, you can throw uh get a crazy in your Facebook audience and make like another dollar a month and run birthday offers Ooh. to people in your birthday too. There you go. So there you go people. Happy happy birthday to everybody. You can even run people that'll have friends that'll have birthdays. You can yeah. get really creepy with the book. But we all know this. Oh yeah, remember scraping everybody's right. information from right, uh, from the Facebook the graph, <laughs> and it'd be like, "Hey, it's a Robba thing," and you're like, "Oh my god, how do they know it from Indiana now? Look at Texas." Remember, dude? I forget how crazy that. Used oh to yeah, be scraping wild, all wild Facebook user Facebook information. Graph, you just grab. Dude, you could just grab whatever you wanted when you had that. Ad. It was That's one yeah, of the first PD money jobs time. I had was for this T-shirt how company crazy. that. Uh, all they did was make designs and then they it was like a two order t-shirt company and it was the side business of a competitor to omaze and uh yeah that was the entire business model and so all i did was scrape data and then run all their designs against what what like the generic design that was dynamic to the user information and then yep. just fucking boom everybody Everybody that grew up in New York that now lives in Texas and be like, New York woman at heart, living in Texas. Okay, boom, here's your picture. There you go. Or, or like, yeah. you know, like, uh, you yeah. know, I might blah, 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 but I'm always Irish. Okay, done. Like a bunch of that shit. So they had three t shirt designers in Maine. And like, I had one assistant and we would just do like six figures a week in, in sales, easy money. Because all these people in Flyover States wanted to buy trash fucking feature. merchandise. <laughs> Don't sleep on America. The American eater, oh, the yeah. American bad taste in merchandise. Like, Don't sleep on America. Speaking of don't sleep, a little digression here. You see GameStop? Uh, you know about me? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you got in. in you got in. You don't see my I tweets about you know baby. money money Twitter. I, I drop it in that juice. I yeah, said, by the way, I by the way, by the way. Uh, also, other two other ones I would like to take credit for. One is SRT, and another one okay. is DQ. What's, what is SRT? SRT is like it's some I, I don't know it's some company, but basically they got into a lawsuit and lost fifty percent of value, and then they came out the other side of it. And then somebody else sued them and they were, they lost. And then that person also lost the lawsuit. So uh, yeah, it dropped 50%. Uh, like if you look at it, it was, it was up at like a buck 70, buck 80, pretty consistent year over year, kind of all along the place, like a nice little leveling, right? Uh, it's a Serapita Therapeutics. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it's a biopharmaceutical okay. company. So anyway, 
uh, huge win. And then another one is DQ, which is Decal New Energy. Uh, I, I, I staked my claim in it about two weeks ago. And uh, in the last month, in the last week, it's up 30%. In the last month, 50. In the last three months, it's go. 145. And the last there you month, go. All right. Well, we're not starting to walk. I got one more. I got one more. Oh, you got another one. All right, All right. Let's go. Last four tickers. JFU, which is a company called 9F, which makes no fucking sense. But okay. uh, that one has lost like 84% of value over the last year. But just it's a it's a digital financial like accounting platform. Anyway, they lost eighty four percent of value over the last year, so they're now down to like a dollar. And uh, like the upside, oh it's it's up thirteen percent in the last month because they're just getting out of some lawsuit shit. Um, but yeah, it, it's wildly yeah. undervalued, and uh, they basically went IPO, then lost two lawsuits, and then cratered, and now they're out the other side of that legal engine and. If they go from $1 back to their starting price of 10, um, it's going to make Bitcoin look stupid. That's Bitcoin, oh man, craziness. Uh, we are not advisors. You should put your money in smart places like a cushion or a dollar cost averaging index. We're a bunch of dummies just having That's fun true. in the market. But there if you, you want to have some fun, you can. Um, those are great picks, though. Yeah, the, uh, the GME stuff. It's just so funny because... Uh, there's the infamous Wall Street bets and yeah. like this one hit. They hit Tesla. Like if you traded their portfolio, you wouldn't be doing horrible. It's just like, oh my God, what the fuck is going on with the world? Wild times. Such wild times. Um, speaking of what's going on with the world, we're kind of we're we're taking on a happier light this time. We're not actually busting any gurus per se, but Charlie is gonna ride in with some guru busting yeah, so. knowledge. Um, so oh, wait a minute, here we go. Yeah, I'm turning this thing around. Oh, yeah, we got to yeah. fire up the scopes. Um, and again, Chuck's on the Twitters at, it's at uh, CT the Disruptor. CT Disruptor, I'm at Robert Ray Hill, and then we're at the porch online. So, uh, if you want to throw some questions, love hate anything we'll take it we're, there we go we all right spin. we are live on ctv disruptor right now so i'm gonna look in some odd places just because i'm here and then i'm also here so i'm here and i'm in any place whatever so here we go anyway today's thing is about interest groups versus lookalikes and or broad audiences so let me really get into people value interest mm -hmm. groups because it's like oh well, people have identified that they're interested in this topic of conversation or they're talking about it or they're visiting websites on it so yes, that's true, but let me shoot three holes in the interest groups. Number one, it does not necessarily imply positive intent around that product. If you don't like something and you visit sites about not liking it, say for instance, you're a bit you you're a big hater on The Walking Dead for some reason. You're like, I hate The Walking Dead, all this stuff. You're on I hate The Walking Dead blogs. You're on I hate The Walking Dead, like Facebook groups, all this stuff. You're going to see a shit ton of ads for The Walking Dead because some shit media buyers targeting that interest group. People tend to talk more about things that they don't like than things that they do like, especially if they're polarized on that topic. So people that are in the interest group, half of them, Maybe half, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little more, but a large, a fundamental large chunk of that audience doesn't actually like what you're saying. So say you have an interest group of oh, 2 million people. There's probably 800,000 to 1.2 million people that don't like what you're saying. 
don't like what you're promoting. For instance, even in this, like right towards up the, towards the election, I was very public about an opinion that I had. Mm -hmm. And I saw a shit ton of ads from people trying to sell me shit for the person that I didn't necessarily appreciate. And all of the things that are akin to that kind of stuff. I got a whole mm -hmm. bunch of like tactical gear and made in China bullshit preaching fucking fascism. And I was like, fuck that noise. But it's a whole bunch of wasted media on people that were targeting interest groups instead of using data to back them. Second reason why I don't use interest groups is that they are incredibly, uh, they, they do not match every individual user. If a bunch of people are interested in something, it might only match 20, 30, 50, 60% of it, especially with this reduced data that we're seeing from iOS 14. If you can't see what's happening in data right. places, then it's not going to be able to understand somebody's interest based off of their website traffic, which is a large part of how interest groups are not just the words you're saying, not just the Facebook groups you're in, but all the websites and all the metadata that's attached to your user journey. If you're not buying things or triggering end funnel conversion events on sites, then it's not going to transfer right. as you being necessarily interested in that thing. So the match rate is low on it being actually even including right. you in that audience. So let's say there's 10 million people interested in the thing. Let's and then out of that 10 million people that are interested in the thing, half of them, let's say 40 million of those people are interested because they don't like the thing. OK, so then let's say that only you're only seeing 60, 70 percent of it. So then your 100 million people that potentially are going to talking about a thing, only 60 million of them actually like the thing. And out of that 60 million, you're probably only seeing 30 or 40 million is being eligible for your ads. So of the 30 or 40 million people, at least half of them don't like what you have to say in the first place. So you're seeing this really low match rate, even though the Facebook audience seems huge. The third reason I don't like interest groups is because they are the most commonly fought over pieces of inventory on the platform, which means they are incredibly unstable. They're updating on their own their own you know, basis, um, and they're not built around business objectives. So you are competing with every other person, nickel and diming, paying Premium CPMs, you know where interest groups get used in a lot is in super huge businesses that are trying to conduct market research. Like when I was spending a million dollars a day for CBS, we didn't even have a conversion objective. It was target a bunch of interest groups and bring me back demographic reporting because that's how they did market research. When I was running like New Balance, it was the same thing. They spent 50 grand a day just in interest groups to see who was interested in what so they could do product development. They don't actually care about it. So you're competing with people spending million dollars a day that don't even need a sale. So they're just driving up the cost of that inventory for you. Um, on top of that, you're also having everybody that is hitting the boost button on their phone. Like if you hit boost a post on Facebook or you want to promote, you don't go inside the ads manager. Yeah. The default situation is here's a bunch of interest groups. So they stack up a whole bunch of interest groups. So it is the lowest quality inventory with the smallest match rate, with the highest amount of competition that also doesn't even necessarily mean that you even think positively because it doesn't match sentiment. So for all of those reasons, you could be massively overpaying for people that don't give a shit about what you're doing and competing with 10 other people or a million other people that are either spending a million dollars a day or a million folks spending $5 a day against the same exact inventory that are clogging the feeds and what happens when you start to deliver ads to people that don't give a shit about what you're doing and you're spending a lot of money doing it your estimated action rate as a brand goes down your your page score goes down what happens on that 
all of your ads go up in cost. You might have one interest group that gets you a good result and your account is struggling. And it's because your match rate on who's seeing your ads and who you're spending ads on is really shit. So Facebook looks at you as a shit advertiser and you're spending more money to make yourself look worse to get a lower match rate so that you can have a lower conversion rate while annoying customers and making all of your other marketing efforts more difficult. Now, the opposite to that, I'll preach. I'm a big fan of broad. I haven't really legitimately heard a good argument against broad other than people say, well, our content doesn't work against that. And my argument is you're not testing content against broad. You're trying to shoehorn existing content into a broad and it might not be working well right away because the system doesn't understand what those people are. So creative test against broad. And when you get a winner against broad, then you scale against broad and then you don't have to worry about audiences ever again. Outside of that, focus on local likes that conduct specific business results. Say you're selling something. Why don't you load a lookalike audience, say 1% lookalike of all your CRM data. Everybody that's out getting an email from you. That way you've got to match a lookalike of the people that are opening emails so you can track those individuals on Facebook. Also match out the people that have purchased from you. So a simple one might be a 1% lookalike of CRM data. Another one might be a lookalike 1% of all your previous customers over the last 180 days. And then another one is a lookalike of the value base. So the people most likely to spend money. So you're making a 1% lookalike out of people that are interested enough in your brand to sign up for emails and to see content from you all the time so they're receptive to it. A 1% lookalike out of everybody that's purchased in the last six months, you can get a low cost conversion. And then a lookalike out of everybody that spent a decent amount of money so you can push for high AOV. So you've got three concentric circles and Facebook will target the overlap in that Venn diagram and hit that center audience. Now you can do that at a 1% and that's a hyper-focused version that you can pair against broad and that gives Facebook a really small and a really large audience. And then if you want to go Goldilocks, you might find a 2% or a 5% or a 10% version of that exact stacker. And then maybe you narrow it down by like engaged shoppers or gift givers or men or women, or you focus that audience so that you now have the really, really big audience that's giving you an economy of scale at a very low CPM, where even if it's not delivering you good results, it's informing the system on what a bad impression looks like. So it doesn't waste as much money. And then you have the low, you have the lookalike audience, which has a has a higher cost because it's a smaller audience, but a much higher conversion rate. So you're able to convert people on a regular basis. And you might look at that and be like, my lookalike's getting a 2x and my broad's getting me a 0.8. Why is it spending so much money on broad? And it's because the lookalike is getting you a 2x because you're not investing enough money on it for it to fail. And what you really need to do is look at the blended results. So many people analyze their audience results by audience, by audience, by audience. And they fuck up and realize it's not about the audience. It's not even about the ad. It's how is your account doing? What is the blended result of everything? And then on top of that, if you find a good, nice little Goldilocks in the middle, it's a great thing to test. I find good success with it. And when you've got three or four audiences and a prospect inside of a campaign, just like if you have three or four ads inside of an ad set, the Facebook spend is going to favor one, maybe two of those, and all the delivery is going to go to those options. So what you're doing is you're saying, I'm creative testing against broad. And I've got maybe a 1% stack or maybe a 5% that's narrowed by this and a 10% that's narrowed down by even more. And so I've got this like good, better, best, and, and, and broad that I'm running inside of my ecosystem and allowing the system to find which ad that, I, that is one at broad and where it's going to do best. And then I'm running just the best ads to the best audiences where I have zero competition from other individuals because nobody else has my data because I own that data. So nobody else is targeting people that like bacon like me because I'm the only person that has that audience. So I'm having a much lower competition. And because it's built off of customer data or things that have sent positive sentiment towards my brand, my estimate, the actual rate, my conversion rate are going to go right. up 
because I'm only targeting individuals that respond positively to what I have to say because they've already either bought product or signed up for an email list or they're similar to those that have already. So if you target those people instead of interest groups, you're spending your money to get more and more efficient based on your own data so that you can have compounding success. And as you get more and more efficient, if you get your average cost per buyer from 50 bucks down to 48, your lookalike is going to find more 48 buyers instead of your 50. Your interest group will never get more efficient just because, right. you know, you're, the interest group is getting smarter at it, uh, delivering uh, your ads to people. It doesn't fucking give a shit. It's not based on your business success. So one of them, interest groups. Right. You're targeting people that probably don't give a shit about you with a low match rate and competing with a ton of other people that are either dropping so much fucking money that they don't give a shit on whether it works or they're dropping so little money that they're never going to succeed. Right. So you're opening yourself up to a bunch of risk and exposure on something that's super highly volatile or you're building your business around audiences that are built spe for specific business results that are compounding in the nature of their success. And one is being an investment banker. The other person is pulling lottery tickets. And most people that are rich don't get it from fucking pulling lottery tickets. If you want to be successful, you need a sustainable business model. And you don't get that by trying to get lucky all the fucking time. You build one win on top of another, on top of another, and you get progressively better. And that's not going to happen on the back of interest groups. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Yeah, just to pile on on that, the uh, I've had interest groups be um, almost even sometimes more expensive than um, like my yeah. killer retargeting, where I don't mind paying my killer retargeting because these people are giving me all this money. Where it's like these people hate me, and um, it's cost me a lot of money for these people to hate me. The other thing that I really get uh, nervous about um, building foundational things around interest groups is um, the biggest thing is volatility or what happens when the sure. interest group dies. So you just plowed 50 K into it this month and you got all these learnings that are now useless. Like, how, what, what do you do with that? Like that, that's kind of a pretty big matzo ball hanging out there where it's like, well, if you do that against broad, nothing changes. Yeah. Like you're, you're just, got to spend less because your performance sucks and you need to shit better creative. But in terms of the perturbations in the system, like all those learnings are still there. They just need better bullets in the gun and they can spin that success right back up versus now you're matching up. You got to learn up your ad there, your quote unquote store manager, that being the ad set and that you have to learn up your ads and you have to learn up the link between them where the store manager has to learn the best ad to give, or the impression to give to the best ad. So there's just a lot of stuff that goes away where even if you do succeed, I think the moat around um, business-based lookalikes and or um, broad is just so much better that I would just rather win there just because of the optionality that I have versus if I went on interest groups and then all of a sudden, uh, another thing that happens all the time, what if the interest group that you have goes oh, yeah. away? What do you do then? Like that happens all the fucking time. And so it's just like, I, I see that there's just, I don't know. It gets, it gets a little fuzzy. I've seen it work at low spends and I, I know some people make it work, but I, I just find that if you're going to invest that money, I'd rather fail at broad into success than succeed at interest groups and fail. Because when that happens, 
then you can't fix it. <laughs> you end up just yeah. going abroad and <laughs> spending all your money anyway. So it's like this circle of fuckery that you can just cut it out and be like, maybe I shouldn't build my foundational campaigns yeah. around interest. You know, you don't, don't, uh, castles built on sand or some shit. There's, there's a wonderful quote that I don't. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so right? you know, deep uh, but yeah, I mean, the bottom line is there's a path to long term business success and there's a path to short term wins. And, I don't know how many people watching this far in are really focused on getting rich tomorrow and being broke in three days. Like it's about yeah. a sustainable business model that produces wealth and, uh, and success. Um, whether that is, you know, however that looks for you, but overall business success and wealth for your brand is never going to be achieved on the back of, of trying to get lucky. It's just a fundamental error. And the only thing I can say yeah. is I've never seen it work at scale. I think it's great when you start. I've started brands. Sure. I'm running a thing right now where we're starting up an affiliate of a brand and with the, with the brand's approval. And we're basically going in partnership with them. Um, super high AOV, like $1,000 product, right? And the brand's telling me how they've got to have 28-day windows and they're terrified of all this stuff because it's a three or four week consideration and I'm running one day click ads and I'm making sales. I'm already at like, I've spent like five, $600 and I made 10 sales. So I'm at like an eight X, 10 X ROAS on the media. And that's on the back of interest yeah, yeah. groups and broad, but those interest groups are going to cap out because I'm only spending like 10, 15 bucks a day on them. the broad uh, is infinite. Yeah. And you know, like it's got the infinite, it's got the infinity stone. Like it'll always be there. You know, so going back yep. to Marvel releasing movies all the time. Or no, it was Netflix. I was trying to bring it full circle and I missed I missed the boat a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You you missed, but we 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 end up landing it a little bit, a little bumpy, you know. People maybe didn't clap, but <laughs> we made it safe. That's, so that's, what that's what matters. All right. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. I know you got yeah, I know. I love it. I missed you. We'll do it again. Uh, we're going to a uh, pretty strict schedule of yeah. uh, Fridays, so this will get more uniformly published people. That has kind of been my bad. Uh, agency in Austin been growing like a weed, so had to kind of tidy up some things like there. But might um, need some help. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it. should be open for <laughs> elitists that want to try to make some money, but we'll see. Oh, I know, right? Slide, yeah. on in. Slide in there, people. You're Slide safe. in there. Um, but yeah, dude, thanks for the time. Have fun. Thanks for the football picks. So we're both, I think, on I think Bucks, Bucks Bills, Bills, right? Yeah. Or, uh, so, so, yeah. I, I think that's what I'm going with. No disrespect, yeah. Aaron. I love you, dude. Good, You're a great quarterback. But I'm just, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's like, yeah, man. it's that time. I, Josh Allen. I think that's it. And I'm, I'm really rooting for anybody, Bills, so you have to buy me a steak. Yeah! I know. If it, I, uh, all right, just a little quick backstory before we sign off. I, Charlie, fucking honey dicked me into a bet of uh, Lamar. I, I took Lamar Jackson to win a Super Bowl over Josh Allen, and so this is in perpetuity. Yeah, so he pretty quick. Yeah, because Lamar Jackson will never Mafia see the second game in a playoff ever again in his career, and Josh Allen's <laughs> probably going to be perennially competing for the AFC national title. So, uh, <laughs> What better way to end it than yeah, on a Charlie go. football rant? All right, people, much love out there. You are not your ROAS. Stay up, stay corona free, and uh, we'll see you.